Let's open our Bibles to 38 Psalms. Psalm 38, if you will. Looks like maybe we can cover the 38th and 39th, but we'll see how it works out. This Psalm 38 might be titled The, the Sick and Slandered Saint. Sick and Slandered Saint. And we find in verse 1, it says, O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. You know, there are degrees of God's wrath. If you study the book of Revelation, it says the great day of his wrath has come, Revelation 6, verse 17. And as it progresses on through the great tribulation, it says the fierceness of the wrath of God. And that's another reference. I won't take time to give you all the places. You might want them later on. If you do, I have them here. And then it says the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. So we find that it increases as you go through. So there are degrees of God's wrath. And David, knowing this, was asking for mercy. He says, uh, Neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. So God is a God of love, and God is a God of chastening. God is a God of judgment. And so we need God's mercy in the midst of it all, don't we? In verse 2 it says, For thine arrow stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. He was kind of like Job, you know, when Job uh, complained about God uh, judging and chastening him. And so... David here is moving in that direction. He said, he's really saying God's arrows are sharp. He's saying his hand is heavy. Thy hand presseth me sore. In Psalm 32, verse 4, it says, Thy hand was heavy upon me. Job 6 and verse 4. Let me see if I can get this. Job 6 and verse 4 says this, For the arrows of the Almighty are within me, the poison whereof drinketh up my spirit, the terrors of God who set themselves in array against me. David wasn't quite as drastic as Job, was he? But still, he realized that God's arrows were sharp and God's hand is heavy. Verse 3, he says, There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. He realized that sin had brought the chastening hand of God. Sometimes we complain about the chastening, but we don't, we're not mindful of what brings it on. That's, that's something we don't want to think about. We say, God is chastening me, but then uh, we're not willing to confess that it's because of sin. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, and we it's a familiar passage of Scripture, it says in verse 5, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou rebukest him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. So, uh, God chastens us just like we chasten uh, our children and like we have been chastened of our parents and corrected. The word chastening means correction, and sometimes the correction has to take a little more drastic form in our lives. And he says in verse 7, If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? He says, But if we be without chastisement, Whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? It says, For they are the fathers of our flesh, for they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he, that is God, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. God wants to make better people out of us. And then it says in verse 11, Now no chastening for the present, see, present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth 
the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Now notice this statement, it's the key to the whole thing. Unto them which are exercised thereby. In other words, if we'll listen to it, it will profit us. But if we won't, it will not do us any good. It says uh, it, that it afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. You ever seen children that were trying to be, that you correct children, and one of them would say, Mama, Daddy, I'll not do that anymore, and they would listen to you, and they wouldn't do it anymore. They were very careful to not do it. And then you'd find some and say, Mama or Dad, I won't do that anymore. Turn around just as quick as your back's turned, they're ready to go do it again, in spite of all that you've said. Well, see, they were not exercised thereby. So that means you're supposed to listen to fathers and mothers as they correct you. And if you don't listen, it won't do you any good. You may listen and say, well, I will, but you don't do it. So it's, it's good to obey fathers and mothers. Women shaking their head, yes. I'm glad I got somebody agreeing. But anyway, the Lord does lay it down in, our, in His Word. What, and that's for us. We're grown-ups now, okay? We're children of God. We talk to the kiddos here as far as the human family is concerned. But think about the fact that we're children of God and we adults have to have the same submission and yield to the same correction that we would expect our children after the flesh to, to uh, obey and to yield to. Okay, let's go on down. In verse 4, now we find uh, something else. The burden of sin is too heavy for us because it says in verse 4, For mine iniquities are gone over mine head. As a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. By the way, the burden of sin is too heavy, isn't it, for us to bear? That's why Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The burden of sin is too heavy for us to bear. When sin rests heavy upon us, until we unload ourselves of that sin, until we get rid of that burden, it's going to, to hold us down, bear down upon us. Look at that verse again. For mine iniquities are gone over my head, mine head, as an heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. Remember when Cain had uh, killed Abel, his brother, and he went out and he says, My punishment is greater than I can bear, than I'm able to bear. Well, sometimes our punishment is as a result of our sin becomes unbearable. Verse 5 shows us something else. My wounds stick, my wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. We find the folly of sin, the foolishness of sin. In Proverbs 9, let me read this for you. Proverbs uh, 9, or 14 in verse 9 it is. 14 verse 9 says, Fools make a mock at sin, but among the righteous there is favor. Have you ever seen fools that make a mock of sin? Have you ever seen people that say, well, you know, what does it matter? They make a mock of sin, and thus they mock God and say, well, you know, God's not going to do anything about it. You know, what does it matter if I've done this? Most of us are not that way. Most of us realize if we've sinned, we need to confess it, and we need God's mercy and forgiveness. And that's the proper attitude for a Christian to have, is to confess his sins. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we need that confession. But fools make a mock at sin. And another one, Proverbs 19 and verse 3. Let's see if we can find that one. Proverbs 19 and verse 3. It says this, 
It says, The foolishness of man perverteth his way, and his, and his heart fretteth against the Lord. See, the foolishness of man perverteth his way, makes his way of perversion. And, and his heart fretteth against the Lord. He's fighting against God, isn't he? We fight against God's uh, conviction and God's Holy Spirit telling us that we're wrong. Back in our text now, uh, Psalm 38, verse uh, 5. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. And then the conviction of sin in the next verse, it says, I am troubled, I am bowed down greatly, I go mourning all the day long. The conviction of sin brings us down and leads us to repentance. Notice that. It says, I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. When sin has so disturbed us that it makes us realize that we're bowed down, that we that it bows us down and, and makes us realize that we, we're in a deep state of mourning, that brings us to repentance. And in uh, Proverbs uh, <clears throat> 28, verse 13, it says this, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So confess and forsake sin, and it'll be all right. Come to repentance. Verse 7 says, For my loins are filled with a loathsome disease, and there is no soundness in my flesh. The effect of sin is like, compared to a loathsome disease. Remember that leprosy was a picture of sin, a type of sin in the Old Testament. Leprosy. And leprosy was uh, obtained by inheritance and by uncleanness and by evil association. Three different ways. By inheritance, you could inherit leprosy. You could uh, uh, be unclean of body to the extent that there could become leprosy. And then association with those that others that are lepers. Isn't that practical? Look. We're sinners by nature, are we not? Didn't we inherit sin? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God by one man sinner in the world, and death by sin. And so death is passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Romans 5, verse 12. And then Romans 3, all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. Verse 23. Now look, and what? That's by inheritance. And then by uncleanness. We, we live an unclean life, a sinful life, spiritually. It's a, the practical side or the practice of sin in our lives because we have inherited sin. We sin because we are sinners. See, that's why people sin. And this is what we practice. You know, a dog barks because he's a dog. Right? And an apple tree has apples instead of pears or peaches because it's an apple tree. And we are sinners and we bear that kind of fruit in our lives. And that shows us the depravity of mankind. If you think man is not depraved, just look around our world today and look at the things that have happened today. Only depraved men would do such things as we've heard of on the news and as we hear of day by day of various individual situations, let alone the great tragedies and things that come. Man is a sinner, isn't he? And uh, the thing about it is the only thing that will save him from such a condition is the Lord. And he will make a new creature out of that old person. And then look, that uh, also sin is, uh, uh, leprosy is obtained by association, getting around other people that are sinful. 
and it'll pass on to you. And you rub shoulders with them, and you keep you keep going with sinful people. And the first thing you know, you'll be doing like sinful. If you get around a person that talks with bad language, you say, "I'll never do that." You hear it day in and day out. The first thing you know, you'll pick it up. You get uh, you get around people that do bad things, awful things. The first thing you know, you say, "Well, that's not so bad after all," and you'll be following right in their same footsteps. That's why it makes a difference as to what people you associate with or what influence they have in your lives. So you young people, go around with good uh, Christian young people that will teach you the right way and you can follow the right examples and, and do the right things. And if you see a bad apple in the bunch, you get away from it. If you see someone that's trying to ruin your life or uh, offers you drugs or alcohol or or whatever, and or want you to go out and do some awful things, fool around with guns or uh, knives or anything that's of that nature that can bring tragic results. You know all these things, and He'll keep your life straightened out. You know you you can get your life straightened out when you're just a child. You can start. Uh, Paul told Timothy, he says, "And that from a child, thou hast known the holy scriptures." which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And you know the word child there means infancy. It really means uh, a young... It means an infant. That from a child. It means from an infant thou hast known. We talk about when we can start teaching our children how uh, the Scriptures and the Bible in Sunday school from the very time they're able to understand anything. From the very time they're able to understand the English language from the very time that they can understand uh, stop, go, mother, daddy. The Bible says, do this and do that. You know, John 3.16, For God so loved the world, they begin to understand that at a very early age, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's not difficult, is it? And you know, we use the excuse, well, you know, when they get old enough to understand then we'll start teaching them. When they get old enough to understand, you pass the time teaching them. Because you had a time that they could understand a lot before that, that time came. That's why children need to be taught. I accepted the Lord when I was probably, I imagine, four years old. Up in the old Baptist tabernacle, it sat right across the circle there. Right across the gully that come down, facing, facing, facing the mountain. I've heard people talk about the one behind there, behind where that... Uh, uh, auto store is or that uh, the post office along back there on the side of the mountain but that wasn't the first one they think that's the first one the first one was an old board building facing the mountain up there in the great big old hull of a building had one by twelve floors sweep dirt down through the cracks you know and uh, when the, when that made out of that green lumber you could put it tied together in two weeks time it had an inch crack in it because as it dried up it just got anyway Big old front steps had come up to it, and a little old porch out on the front facing Sarah Blanca. They had a daily vacation Bible school down there, and all the kids that accepted the Lord were supposed to go over to, to Tularosa to somebody's uh, swimming pool. They had an old swimming pool over there somewhere to be baptized, because that Rio Dosa River water is pretty cold. However, some of us have been baptized, some have been baptized in there. Troy's mother was baptized in that Rio Dosa River. It was cold, too. But anyway, they found a place deep enough. Can you imagine baptizing that cold water? They did it. That, that's faith, isn't it? I mean, you believe something when you do that. But anyway, uh, to make a long story short, 
children are able to understand. They're able to understand. Now, they may not know a whole lot, but they know that if they are sinners, they need to trust the Lord. And you can get your life started out right when you're a child. And it'll help you all through your life. I remember a, a sailor on the ship. I went into service when I was 17 years old. And he gave me, see if I can find it right quick, a little thing. And uh, it's been carried all over the, the country. See, it's a little pink card that says, Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? John eleven twenty six. That thing has been in my billfold from one billfold to another. I don't know how many have wore out since 1941 or 2 or 3, long in there. Well, it was during World War II. That one little piece of paper was one of those little cards. He's a good Christian uh, man. and uh, You know... I didn't know a whole lot, but I always grabbed a hold of anything that would teach me to do right. And you children, you need to understand that you can start your life out right and you can live it right. A lot of times we see people on down the road and we say, why do so many things happen in their lives? Well, it's just a result of some things that happened earlier. About nine times out of ten, some of the things that happen is a result of something that happened earlier. doesn't mean you won't face problems. doesn't mean you won't have trials. But it does mean that sometimes we just begin to reap the harvest of what our life is amounted to. And so you get your life straightened out now while you have time. And then let's notice something else. We read down to verse uh, uh, 7. Let's look at verse 8. He says, I am feeble and sore broken. I have roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. That's verse uh, 8. Look at that. Sin affects the heart, doesn't it? Sin affects the heart. Proverbs 12, verse 25. Let me read this for you. Proverbs 12 and verse 25. Notice what it says here. It says, Heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop, but a good word maketh it glad. Heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop. It brings you down. So back in our text it says, uh, I have roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. And then it says, verse 9, look at verse 9. <clears throat> it says, Lord, all my desires before thee, and my groaning is not hid from thee. By the way, the Lord understands the desire of our heart. All my desires before thee. If you put your desires to do the thing that God wants you to do, things will change. Then I want you to notice, beginning with verse 10, David's sorrows. David's sorrows. Notice what it happen, happens in verse 10. He says, My heart panteth, my strength faileth. As for the light of mine eyes, it is also gone from me. Fear caused David's heart to beat fast and his eyes to become dim. My strength faileth, as for the light of mine eyes, it also is gone from me. Sometimes we're spiritually blind. We cannot see. Our eyes become dim to spiritual things because of sin. And it brings this kind of sorrow. If you look at verse 11, David was deserted by both lover and friend. Look at this. He says, My lovers and my friends stand aloof from my sore, and my kinsmen stand afar off. It's an awful thing to be deserted, isn't it? And yet David felt, felt that way. David was deserted by both. Sometimes people are deserted for uh, good reasons, and sometimes they're deserted for uh, altogether 
the lack of faithfulness on the part of those that should stand by them. You know, there are some people you want to get away from because <laughs> you, you just want to get away from them because they're just bad medicine. But there are other people uh, that we should stick close to who need us in the hour of, of, of their suffering and their trials. If you remember, Paul said, At my first answer, no man stood with me. But he said, Nevertheless, the Lord stood with me. He delivered me out of, of all my troubles. And he will preserve me into his heavenly kingdom. He said, Nevertheless, there's always a friend that sticketh what? Closer than a brother. And that friend is the Lord. And he's going to stand by you come what may. So David's friends had gone from him. And then verse 12, if you look at verse 12, he says, They also that seek after my life uh, lay snares for me, and they that seek my hurt speak mis mischievously, uh, <clears throat> mischievous things, and imagine deceits all the day long. David's enemies increased their action when they saw him in trouble. Look what they did. They lay snares. They seek his hurt. Uh, they speak mischievous things and imagine deceits. And that, look, all the day long. In Proverbs 12, verse 10, it says, The tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. The tender mercies of the wicked. The wicked cannot be uh, tender even when they have mercy. They're cruel. And then I want you to look at verse 13, 14. It says this. <clears throat> it says, But I as a deaf man heard not, and I was as a dumb man that opened not his mouth. Thus was I as a man that heareth not, and in whose mouth are no reproofs. David ignored the false charges of his enemies. And that's what we should do. He says, I was a deaf man. I didn't open my mouth. I was a man that heareth not, and in whose mouth are no reproofs. He just ignored them. Sometimes it's best if we ignore people. Jesus said, it says of Jesus in 1 Peter 2, verse 23, that, that uh, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. Now look at verse 15. For in thee, O Lord, do I hope thou wilt hear, O Lord, my God. David's hope was in the Lord. And then down from verses 16 on through 22, we find something else. We find David's plea. David's plea for help in verse 16. He says, For I said, Hear me, lest otherwise they should rejoice over me with my, uh, when my foot slippeth, and they magnify themselves against me. David was pleading for God's help. He didn't want the ungodly to have an excuse to rejoice over him. And he knew he had given the enemy an excuse to blaspheme the Lord. And we should not give the enemy any chance to uh, cause this kind of problem. Verse 17, it says, For I am ready to halt, and my sorrow is continuing before me. David really knew that there could be no mercy without repentance. And he says, My sorrow continues before me. Verse 18, For I will declare mine iniquity, I will be sorry for my sin. And when you are sorry for your sin, when you halt and you quit sin, when you are sorry for your sin, and you confess your sin, the Bible says he is faithful and just, to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Look at verse 19. We find it says, But mine enemies are lively and they are strong, and they that hate me wrongfully are multiplied. David's enemies were lively, strong, and multiplied. And by the way, that makes our need very great, doesn't it? As it did David. When our, when our enemies are lively and they're strong and they're multiplied, we need God's 
help in the situation. Let me read Proverbs 29 and verse 16. Proverbs 29, verse 16. It says this, When the wicked are multiplied, transgression increaseth, but the righteous shall see their fall. When the wicked are multiplied, transgression increaseth, but what? But the righteous shall see their fall. Don't worry about it. The enemies may be lively and strong and multiplied, but God is there. Now look at the next verse. Uh, Verse 20. They also that render evil for good are mine adversaries, because I follow the thing that that uh, good is. You follow good, that's the nature of his enemies. They render evil for good, and they're his adversaries. And then verse 21, look here. Here's his final plea in the last two verses. Forsake me not, O Lord, O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. David uh, David's final plea was that he wanted God to help him. And by the way, we need God's help in all things. If we look in uh, the 39th Psalm, uh, David speaks to himself. In the first verse, it says, I said, I will take heed to my ways that's, that, <coughs> that I sin not with my tongue. <coughs> he was talking about taking heed to his ways. He was determined to take heed. He was determined to be on guard. Sometimes we do not pay enough attention. We do not take heed. The Bible says, Therefore uh, therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. That's Hebrews 2 verse 1. Lest at any time we should let them slip or get away from us or run away or lose them. You know what? If you do not pay attention, you'll lose it. If you do not take heed, take heed, it says. Pay attention. And he says, I said I will take heed uh, to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. He bridled his tongue before the wicked. My mouth with a bridle. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. He even bridled his tongue before wicked people. Can you imagine uh, some people will not bridle their tongue before good people? But it should be that we would not that we could bridle our tongue even before wicked people because if we will, they won't have any occasion to, to, uh, to take advantage of our conversation and use it in the wrong way. Sometimes it's far better to bridle our tongue before the wicked than it is to speak out. Now, there's a time to speak out. You don't want to, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Sometimes we need to speak. The next verse says, I was dumb with silence. I held my peace even from good, and my sorrow was stirred. Well, look, David became sullen and remained silent when he should have spoken. And he took his silence too far. He says, I held my peace even from good. There's a time for us to speak, and there's a time to be quiet. There's a time to bridle our tongue. There's a time to speak out. Remember that Paul said to Timothy, I give thee charge in the sight of God. I give thee charge in the sight of God. He says, uh, he said to uh, Timothy, he says, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. And he says, preach the word and be instant, what? In season, out of season. That means when you feel like it and when you don't feel like it. That means when people want to hear and when some don't want to hear. That means all the time. That means just be faithful to the Word. And he says, uh, 
Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, teaching them the truth. And he says, for the time will come when they will not endure, listen carefully, sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, who shall turn away their ears from the truth, shall be turned unto fables. I believe we're living, if Paul could see it in his day, and Timothy would face it, what do you think we're facing nowadays? When people turn away their ears from the truth and are turned to fables. If you tell them some fairy tale, they might be ready to hear it. But if you tell them what God's Word says, well, you know, that's a different story. But I still rather tell what God's Word says. I think it has more effect, don't you? I think it does some good to listen to God's Word. And so he says, uh, I held my peace even from good and my soul was stirred. Well, no wonder. Notice in verse 3, he says, My heart was hot within me while I was musing the fire burned. Then spake I with my tongue. In other words, this, this, the inward result of too much silence was that he, he knew he had to speak out for God. Often the Lord overrules our bad judgment and causes us to go ahead and speak anyway when we should. Now, beginning with verse 4, we find David speaks to the Lord. It says, Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is, that I may know how frail I am. He desired to know the final outcome of all of his trials. Impatience often makes us anxious to know the future. So sometimes when we get impatient, we just want to know what's going to happen. But we need to trust in the Lord. It says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, he shall direct thy paths. Notice, it is the brevity and uncertainties of life that makes us realize our frailty. He says that I may know how frail I am. How frail I am. That's, that's mankind. Man in general is frail. You know, there are two words in the Psalms that speak of man. Ish and Isha, man and woman. And both of them mean, mean frail, weak. Just weak. <laughs> It kind of, it, it's a little bit amusing when we see some men uh, exalting themselves so high and mighty in this world. When, when God's Word just says there, man is frail, he's weak. He's, he does, he's not that strong. Can you imagine as God looks down from the great center of this universe upon mankind, upon this little planet Earth where man is put to dwell, and he sees us just like little... Less than little ants running around here and there, you know, and all these little automobiles jumping here and there, and our little airplanes going like that, like we would see a child with a little airplane twisted up with a rubber band, you know. That's the way he sees it. And, you know, we see it as great, big, huge, boy, we've, we've really done something. When God looks down upon us, <laughs> we're just like little things running around down here. But he loves us, and he provided for us our salvation through Jesus. And it doesn't mean he doesn't care, but we're frail. What is what it is that I may know how frail I am? Look at verse 5. Compared to eternity, David's life was very short. He says, Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth. Look, here's your days. Here's your days. Thou hast made my days. Your whole life is like that. Another scripture says, My days declineth as a shadow. James says, What is your life? It is even as a vapor. Have you ever put the old tea kettle on the burner and you see the steam coming out and it's gone it says what is your life it is even as a vapor that appeareth a little time and then vanisheth away hundred years from now all of us will be gone right 
and a whole lot of us a lot sooner. You see, our life is only a vapor. And we put so much stock in this life, don't we? We say, oh, I just got to have this and I got to have that and I got to have something else. I just, I need more than anything God's grace and God's mercy and God's love and God's protection and God's provision and all the days He gives me. Count them a day at a time and thank Him for every day because you do not know when it will be the last one. Did you suppose that a couple of hundred people this morning thought when they went to work, just went out on their job, that many of them wouldn't be there before 9 o'clock, 9.30 in the morning? You say, well, that's a, that, you know, a tragedy. Yes, but they happen anywhere and everywhere. When an earthquake comes, when a flood comes, when a hurricane comes, when tragedies come, this morning as I came down here on Junction Road, there was a three-car collision right here by the Episcopal. Three different ones. I don't know that. Ambulance was there and the police. I don't know who it was. But you see, you never know what's going to happen and how quickly it will happen. You better thank God every day. Behold, thou hast made my days as an handbreadth, and my age is as, look, as nothing before thee. It's like what? Nothing. And then it says, Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. It doesn't say his worst state, does it? Every man at the very best state, is his best state, is altogether vanity. Selah. Terrible situation. And then we find something else in verse 6. Surely every man walketh in a vain show, a vain show, an image. Surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up riches and knoweth not who shall gather them. Isn't that something? You can lay them all up and you say, well, I'm going to leave this to my son, my daughter, my children, my grandchildren. How do you know? Some of them may be gone before you are. And if they're not, you know, guarantee they'll get it. You say, oh, I'm sure I got it all fixed in my will. Wills can be broken. Everything in life is so uncertain apart from God. And I don't care how well you plan things, and we hope it works out. If it's God's will, it will work out like we hope and trust that it will in our lives. But there's no guarantee. Look at this. Look at this verse. It says, Surely every man walketh in a vain show. Surely they are disquieted in vain. Surely, uh, it says, he heapeth up riches and knoweth not who shall gather them. We're subject to death without notice. And then look at verse 7. David's hope was in the Lord. It says, and now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in thee. It says, what am I waiting for? He's like, you remember old uh, Job, he says, I know my Redeemer liveth. That he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, though after my skin worms destroy this uh, body, yet in my flesh shall I see God whom I shall behold for myself, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and I'm going to be resurrected, and I'm going to see him with my own eyes. And Job, they say, could have been the first book of the Bible chronologically. We don't know that. We know it comes in the before the Psalms. But it says there was a man in the land of us by the name of Job. And that takes you back to the setting in the time of Genesis. And we don't know when it should have been uh, put into the chronological order. We don't know what date and time Job was. There's a lot of things that indicate that uh, it was before the Levitical law because uh, 
he was the personal priest for the family, and he offered up the sacrifices for his family, remember, as the priest of the family, which later on the priest did it under the Levitical law, and after uh, the book of Exodus, and Moses established uh, the, the law under Moses and Aaron. So you see, the setting was back in the book of Genesis. But we find <clears throat> that he even then knew something about God. And he says, I know my Redeemer liveth, that he shall stand. His hope was in God. Now quickly, let's go and I'll give you the rest of this. It says in verse 8, Deliver me from all my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. David uh, needed the help of God's grace to keep his peace. He says in verse 9, I was dumb, I opened not my mouth, because thou didst it. He needed God's help in all things. Thou didst it. We need God's help in our lives. In verse 10, look at this. David is asking for mercy. He says, Remove thy stroke away from me. I am consumed by the blow of thine hand. He needed God's mercy. Mercy is to be expected after we repent of our sins and confess our sins. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. That's what we need today. God's people to humble themselves before God. And then the Lord rebukes are very severe. If you look at 11, when thou, uh, when thou with your rebukes dost correct man for iniquity, thou makest his beauty to consume away like a moth. Look at that. When thou with rebukes dost correct man for iniquity, for sin, thou makest his beauty to consume away like a moth. See what we're talking about, about the frail state of man? Listen to the sirens. Consume away like a moth. Surely every man is vanity. Every man is vanity. Selah. You have it again there. I'll give you two more things and we'll close. And that is verse uh, 12. Hear my prayer. O Lord, and give ear to my unto my cry. Hold not thy peace and at my tears, for I am a stranger with thee and a sojourner, as all my fathers were. David realized that his pilgrimage was upon this earth, just like Abraham. Remember, Abraham said they were strangers and pilgrims upon the earth, and he looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. If you think this earth is permanent for us, it is not until it's renovated, changed, and made a new earth, and that will be in the future. But right now, if you look around the world, if you look around the earth and see the pollution, you see the famine, you see the wars, you see the turmoil, and you see the nuclear powers growing, and now the little bitty nations all over are capable of making nuclear weapons, then you can see that it's very transit, isn't it? It's very temporary. He says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear unto my cry. Hold not thy peace at my tears, for I am a stranger with thee and a sojourner as all my fathers were. Remember, David is referring back to his fathers, to the to the patriarchs. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac beget Jacob and right on down the line and all the uh, sons of Jacob, all the tribes of Israel, and down to the kings when David, the second king upon the earth for Israel, the first one was a king after the people's own choice, old Saul, 
And then when God had gotten rid of him, he raised up David to be king. And he said, David is a king, a man after my own heart. And yet David still recognized he was a stranger and pilgrim on the earth. And then the last thing, he says, Oh, spare me that I may recover strength before I go hence and be no more. David not only wanted mercy, but he wanted restoration of his strength. And he wanted God to give him the proper outcome in his life. Old Job, you remember, Job uh, was finally blessed and given back all that he had lost. It says the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. So the end of the thing is what makes the difference. Isn't it? The outcome is what's worth something. Sometimes we go along in life and we say, well, you know, this is so bad. This is so bad. This is so bad. And the first thing you know, something turns good. You say, well, how did that happen? How did that happen? Only the Lord knows. And he, He's the one that helps us through it makes the outcome different than we expected and I'm glad he does old Job thought he's done for didn't he lost all his family lost all his possessions he lost all his friends they said his wife said curse God and die and his his friends that came to comfort him said Job you get you're getting exactly what you deserve says in fact you're not getting all you deserve 